Well, what's God been doing? Melissa? <laughs> oh, after all these years, he's going to make me stand out. <laughs> I, you, you get to. That's right. What's God been doing? Um, Do you have a word to encourage the rest of the body? Uh, yeah, patience. God, you know, persevere. It's been two years that my husband and I believe that God called us to North Carolina with Hope Chapel Carey. We finally have sold our house, and we're leaving in two weeks. So... These guys have served in many capacities in our church over the past several years, and it's going to be sad to see them go, but a whole new life for you, huh? Yes. Certainly is going to be. Yes. And Bill is going to be very appreciative to get you guys over there in North Carolina. We hope so. I know he is. I talked to him this week. He's going to be excited. So, wonderful. But God is faithful. Oh, he's so faithful. So faithful. So faithful. Great. Good. All right. Anybody else? Want to share a testimony? Uh, maybe you have a word that God has put on your heart? Alice. Well, I'm still in the process. <laughs> maybe I can give you an update, but um, the last 40 days I've been temporarily displaced out of my home. <laughs> And uh, it's really been a time I see where the Lord is teaching me. He wants to take me into a deeper level of surrender. And, of course, I've been real cooper- will, really cooperative, kicking and screaming all the way, I'll have to be honest. <laughs> but I'm starting you to... You really kicking uh, and screaming? Oh, yes, yes. I wrestle with the Lord a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he always wins, thank God. Yes. But uh, I think I really do believe it's not only for me personally, but I really believe this for the whole body of Christ, not only here, but across the around the world that he was wanting to move us all into a deeper level of patience, of really producing that fruit of patience. And I think patience has, a, you know, it's really expansive. <laughs> And uh, anyway, uh, the interesting thing about being displaced out of my home, uh, (laughs) my landlord decided he wanted to rent his home and my home, which my home is on the back of his property, to a family that's up here from Brazil. Uh, for the World Cup soccer match. Well, he could get top dollar for it. He could get top dollar. But the interesting thing, this family, they're, uh, they're with the second largest television network in South America. And I thought, Lord, are you trying to get us a connection with South America, you know, through the TV station or what? But I've really uh, received favor with this family. And every week I go visit with them. And it's really a challenge to learn Portuguese, which I can barely speak English, as y'all can tell. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm learning patience in speaking real slow, you know, and really listen. And, of course, they do the same because they think my language is real unusual. And um, they've opened their door for me to come stay with them. They want me to come down there and stay. And so that'll be a total work of the Lord because I don't want to go. <laughs> you know? so I'm just being now, Are they believers? I believe they are. Um, in speaking with uh, Regina, that's the lady, but that's her English name. I can't say it in Portuguese. Um, she said her dad is Baptist and her mom is Catholic. And, of course, we know if you're Baptist, you're going to get that born-again message. Mm-hmm. And we have been able to share the Lord to some degree, you Wonderful. know, with the help of communication. Wonderful. <laughs> and so this is really interesting. They're going to leave this Wednesday, and I'm going to have dinner with them. Tuesday night 
and uh, I've just been praying for them, and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> she gave up her home so these people could come and stay there. But I wish I could have said I had a joyful spirit, but I'd be lying, and I don't want you to have to lay hands on me. <laughs> One thing about Alice, she always tells you the truth. You, you, what you see is what you get. Well, I'll tell you, that's for sure. Judith? Come on out here. This is a testimony for my daughter who is very bashful and doesn't want to, she said she will not, doesn't want to talk in front of people. So I said, would you want me to say it? And she said, yes. And uh, anyway, uh, she was in an accident, and she was being blamed for the accident. And uh, what happened is uh, I was called, and of course I came right down there, and she was being blamed for the accident, and I really didn't feel that she had done it because the woman had hit her car but uh, was saying because she hit it because Marianne went through a red light. And so... Uh, Marianne told me, she said, Mom, I did not go through that red light. And so I had my mini church praying. Uh, where there's some people in my mini church are around here. Anyway, there's one. And uh, I said that uh, I want the truth to come out. And so we went to court, and uh, the uh, other side did have a witness. But the judge, after Marianne explained to him what happened, he said, and remember, my mini church was praying, and I wanted the truth to come out, and I really felt that this was what came out. He said, not guilty. And I'm sitting in the first row, and I said, yes. And uh, so anyway, that's what happened, because I had <laughs> the different people praying, and the truth did come out. Wonderful. So we're Wonderful. glad about that. Because, so the judge exonerated her, huh? Yes, yes. And he, you know, and uh, it, it did look sort of bad for her. But I said, I don't believe that she went through a red light. She told me she didn't. And unfortunately, the uh, people said some things they shouldn't have said. They did lie. And uh, so I said, as we were going out, I said, the truth has come out. So anyway. Good. All right, Marianne. One more. Somebody has a word. Peter. Oh, I want to hear about the camp. One more. Yes. Peter. Oh, I want to hear about the camp. Heard great things about that. People who went with you guys said it was just wonderful. Well, that's really what I'm here to, to give a little praise report on. Give it away. Yes. You know, a number of months, I guess it was probably about a month ago or maybe a month and a half ago when we got the message on, on working in the vineyard and, and hearing the call and working in the vineyard. And I know I came to a lot of the services and other people did too and just asked for your prayers for the uh, disabled ministry that went to... Uh, Yosemite, and it is a it is a hard trip. You know, I kind of sell it a little bit ahead of time, as this will be a lot of fun and a beautiful place to be. But it is hard. <laughs> it is very hard work. I have two volunteers next to me that that uh, that are willing to testify to that. But you know, uh, by focusing on just glorifying God, uh, everybody worked really hard physically, but was blessed so much spiritually as a result of that. We had three different uh, disabled people uh, give messages or Bible studies. And, and so, you know, they actually wrote it and prepared it and gave handouts on it. Wonderful. It, it took like about two hours apiece for those. 
Well, and, uh, everybody's we, used to that yeah. around here, right? <laughs> but it was just, it was really blessed. And, uh, and so I just want to thank everybody for their, for their prayers uh, for it. And if you're interested in pursuing it, we're hoping that it'll bubble up and get Good. bigger. All yeah. right. Again, you know, if you are interested in some information about that uh, particular ministry, see Peter. He'd be happy to talk to you about it and uh, maybe get in on planning the very next one, very next trip. We had, uh, I, I forgot to mention this, and so I'll say it. Yeah, go, go. Yeah. <laughs> we had uh, two people that come on Saturday night, uh, usually this 7 o'clock, Mimi and Matt, uh, that usually sit up in the front, and Mimi rededicated her life as we were floating down the river wow. to the Lord. And I understand Matt did just last week after the whole experience. Wonderful. So, uh, they're on fire. Amen. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Hi, Lori. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about being a disciple. Is that okay? Uh, we're going to spend some weeks on this topic of discipleship, being a disciple. So we may get through, this is part one tonight. We're going to get through half of it, okay? And uh, we'll, we'll pick it back up again next week, Lord willing. And I don't know how many weeks we'll go, but we're going to understand discipleship. I think it's absolutely vital for us uh, and uh, certainly for the church at large as well as those of us here at Hope. So I want to ask you a question. Who knows what the Great Commission is? Anybody? If you know what the Great Commission is, raise your hand. Okay. Where's the Great Commission located in the Bible? Is there, is there a, a place where we could find it if we return to the Bible? Matthew chapter 28, right? Okay. What, what is the thrust of the Great Commission? To make disciples. That's right. To go out to the ends of the earth and to make disciples. And... I would suggest that if we are indeed to make disciples, this is probably a subject of crucial importance to the church. And if we are to make a disciple, then we must be a disciple. Not just know the word and not just know the concepts and the, the truths of Christianity but be a disciple. So we're going to study what does it mean to be a disciple in the next several weeks. For the, for the most part, the Christian church in, in the West, in America, and certainly in Europe, uh, has lost, if you will, the, or neglected the, the thrust of the Great Commission. There are lots of Christians, but uh, few who are actually making disciples. Uh, we have a saying, and most of you are familiar with it, and if you've ever done any fishing, you know this. Uh, you catch them, you clean them. Everybody familiar with that? Yeah, you catch them, you clean them. And, and so the idea is you lead someone to Christ, you don't just bring them to the church and drop them off at the doorstep and say, okay, you, you do all the discipleship work, you do all the training and so forth. Uh, no, if you lead someone to Christ, the church is here to support the work that you're going to do in their life in terms of making that person a disciple of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's what God calls us. That's what Christ calls us. He says, he says you go and make disciples. 
Now, if we're not making disciples, if we're not bringing the, the transforming good news of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to bear in the lives of other people, then all sorts of other isms arise and begin to uh, take control of lives and uh, whole peoples. Um, atheism, agnosticism, humanism, materialism, um, scientism, uh, I mean, you go on and on and on and on and on. Communism, with all the isms that seek to find their place in people's lives and determine the direction of those lives and, and, and certainly the ultimate destiny of those lives. And hence, uh, if the church is not making disciples, then it leaves a huge vacuum for all these other isms to rise up and displace or literally to fill the vacuum. The vast majority of the Western church has been called or characterized as um, church members, pew sitters, bench warmers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, born again Christians, spirit filled charismatics, but they have not been characterized as true disciples and disciple makers. Lots of labels, lots of names, lots of caricatures, lots of descriptions have been applied to the church at large. But when you read the literature of the church, when you see the tenor and the effect of the church today, what you don't see and what you don't hear is this tremendous calling and emphasis on discipling, making disciples. We have, we have interactions with people, but we're not making disciples. We talk to people, but we're not making disciples. That's the great, the great failure of the church today. And so it's important for us to, to think and to ponder ourselves, you know, where do I fall into this kind of uh, description? If the church, if the, the, the bench warmers, if the hymn singers, if the uh, sermon tasters were truly disciples and they were making disciples on an ongoing basis, what do you think would happen? What do you think the net effect would be? What happened in the first century? Jesus told those, those handful of believers as he, as he was getting ready to leave them, he says, now go and what? Make disciples. Now they took him seriously. And they launched out and they began to make disciples. And the, the movement was so effective, so powerful, that it brought mighty Rome to its knees. And Christianity permeated the Roman Empire. Well, a handful of disciples, people who, who took Jesus at his word, who said, okay, we're going to go make disciples. We're, we're going to actually bring people into the kingdom of God. And again, those first century disciples started a movement that literally turned the world of their day upside down. Just transformed it powerfully. Now there's no greater news than the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? 
I mean, you have you could give you could give nobody any greater news than the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you if we think about it and we look at the world around us, um, there is nobody else in all the history of, of the world that can meet the the needs, the longings, the cries of the human heart. Isn't that true? We have people crying out all around us for uh, some some kind of meaning in their life. And all around them, they're living in a, in a world of, of, of meaninglessness. We have people crying out all around us for um, love in a selfish and violent world. People hungering for love. They don't even know they're hungering for love. All they know is they're crying out. We have people all around us who are crying out. They're hungering for forgiveness. In a world that knows not reconciliation, which desperately needs it. All of these cries, all of these longings are summed up in one great cry for God. And the answer to that cry is found in only one person, one place, Jesus Christ. He's the answer. What the world needs is Jesus. And Jesus is looking for people like you and I. He's calling people to himself. People who would be submitted to him, committed to him, and committed to the task of making disciples. In the midst of our very busy lives, in the midst of all the things that, that uh, uh, compete for our attention, He's calling for people who would be committed to making disciples, to affecting the world with his love, to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. That's who he's looking for. That's who he's calling to himself. A man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote on discipleship a number of books. If you get an opportunity, you should probably pick up one or two of his books and read them. He died the death of a martyr in Germany for the faith after terrible persecution and suffering. He wrote in one of his books, The Cost of Discipleship. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that just thrill you? Now, the, the message that the church is putting forth today is not that message. The church isn't saying, become a, a disciple of Jesus Christ and be willing to lay your life down. No, the church is saying, become a disciple of Jesus Christ, become a follower, become a believer, and God will bless your life. Now, he will, but the issue is you want to turn your life over to him. When I was working on the, the, this message and this, this whole concept of discipleship and preparing my notes, last week prior to the leadership seminar that we, we were at last weekend and where I began to talk about this, it was, um, oh, I guess Thursday afternoon. I was in my office at home, and my son came in, and 
And I was working on my notes, and he said, Dad, are those your notes for the weekend? I said, yes, they are. He said, can I look at them? Can I read them? I thought, sure, heck yes. Discipleship, my son to read, read those notes? Amen. So I handed him uh, what I had written up to that point, about eight or nine, ten pages. And uh, he sat down on the floor, and he, he looked at him, and he got back up, and he handed him back to me. I said, I thought you wanted to read my notes. He said, Dad, I read the first line. That was Bonhoeffer's quote. He said, I don't need to read any further. He said, that was enough for me. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He understood the cost of following Jesus. Do we understand the cost of following Jesus? Somebody said, costs nothing to come to Christ. Free gift, salvation, right? But it costs everything to follow him. It costs everything. People say, I don't want to, I'm, a, I'm afraid to, to give my life to Jesus because I, what I'll have to give up. Forget about what you have to give up. What you get in response, in return, is immeasurable. You can't count it. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of that which God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even, you can't even think about it. You can't get your mind around it, what God has prepared. And we worry about what we're going to give up. In Bonhoeffer's statement, we see the radical nature of biblical Christianity. Our faith should be radical. We're not just a subculture of America. We're a counterculture. We are radically different people. Our message is radically different from anything else anybody has to offer or to say in all of the world, in all of the history of mankind. We are radically different in terms of our message and in terms of who we are. At least we should be radically different. It's very easy to fit in, isn't it? It's very easy to be non-offensive. It's very easy not to risk. It's very easy not to be radically different. And yet God calls us to be different. Now certainly there are different ways in which we're called to die. Not everybody is going to die the martyr's death that did Bonhoeffer. But every Christian is called to clear, dedicated discipleship. Whatever the personal cost may be. Whatever the per- what is the personal cost to you of following Jesus? What has it cost you to follow Jesus? What has it cost you to live your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And only we, each of us have, have to ponder that and, and come to grips with that. Sometimes we don't want to do that. We need to wonder about our discipleship. In the secular Greek culture, a disciple was basically a person who was an apprentice at some trade, a student of some particular school or teacher. 
the Greeks or the, uh, the Jews looked at discipleship just a little bit differently than did the Greeks. In the rabbinic circles, the disciple would submit himself entirely to the rabbi. He would not even presume to read the scriptures without the rabbi being there in his presence to supervise and to comment. And so the, the, the disciple was radically uh, submitted then to the, uh, the student was radically submitted to the rabbi. Interestingly, you look at John the Baptist's disciples. They came the closest to uh, what we would call and describe as Christian discipleship. Uh, John, John modeled for them a godly life. These people followed. When, as, in, in, in John's prayer life, they followed. They prayed. John fasted. They fasted. John confronted the, the corrupt leaders of the day, you know. Lost his head over it. But his own disciples would do that. They wouldn't shrink back and be timid. They also would confront uh, the leaders of the day. They were loyal to John even in the midst of his imprisonment. And even when he died, they maintained their loyalty. They came and they retrieved his body to give it a proper burial. So you see the disciples of John the Baptist and how they lived out that discipleship uh, with John. The point being is that with the Greek influence and, and the way discipleship worked in the rabbinic circles with John and so forth, uh, discipleship was something that was very common in that first century. It was a common thing. It was well known. Now for us, what does it mean now for us to be called to discipleship? What does it mean for us to be called to discipleship? Now the first thing is this, and it's got to start here. We're called by Jesus. We're called by Jesus. And I think, well, that's simple enough. I understand that. I knew that. Say that. I knew that. Sure. Okay. But we don't always live our life like we know that. And let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Again, with the rabbis, if we can contrast Jesus' style of discipleship with the rabbinic model... In the rabbinic model, a disciple would choose his teacher. A disciple would voluntarily join that teacher's school. However, Jesus turned that around. Jesus took the initiative. And he personally called his disciples. Do you remember when he called uh, Simon and Andrew? He said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Nathaniel and, and James and John, when he called them, and, 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 and Levi. And all the way down, you see Jesus always taking initiative. He doesn't wait for people to come and he says, well... Send me your catalog and maybe I'll apply. No, he takes the initiative. The rich young ruler, do you remember him? He comes to Jesus 
And he asks them that leading question, what one thing must I do to be saved? And in response, what does Jesus say to him? Huh? Didn't Jesus spell out the cost of discipleship to him? He's saying that's not the issue. He's saying sell everything you have. Then what does Jesus say to him? Come follow me. See, again, Jesus is calling him. And we know that he didn't respond to the call. But the point is, Jesus takes initiative and he spells out the cost of discipleship to that young man. There were people who, and still are certainly, people who, who kind of like to affiliate with Jesus and affiliate with his disciples. They like the, the, um, the, his teachings and they, they like his miracles and they... They were impressed by the integrity of his life and so forth. And, and so they would align with him. They would follow him. But Jesus knew they weren't real true disciples. It was always Jesus who would lay out for them the conditions of discipleship. They weren't in the driver's seat. They weren't saying, well, we'll follow you if and uh, so forth. Jesus always laid down the conditions. In John chapter 6, you see that being played out. In John chapter 6, there are great numbers of people following Jesus. And he launches out on a discourse which is very difficult for them. Do you remember what that discourse is? Yeah, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. What's he saying? What does he mean by that, do you think? Pardon? Walk as he walks? It's more than that, though. Die as he dies? Pay the price he's willing to pay? What does he mean by that? Eat, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Does anybody know Larry? You, you gotta, you gotta so believe in him. It's that you take him in to your life, you receive him, that you live your life in such a way that he is the source. He sustains you. He gives you the strength. He gives you all that you need. Unless you receive Christ. Now, if you don't receive Christ, you have no life in you. Isn't that true? You're just still continuing on as an empty shell. No real life in you. Life that will last forever. So he tells all these disciples this thing, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember, now he's speaking to Jews. And to Jew, this would be absolutely abhorrent, eating flesh and drinking blood. It was against the Mosaic law. Obviously, he's not speaking literally. He's speaking what? Metaphorically, isn't he? They should have known that. But they took offense. And John records that after he had called them and he gave them the conditions of discipleship, him, then they all left him. They all deserted him. 
except the 12. They all deserted him. And he turns it to the 12 and he says to them, have I not chosen you, the 12, after everybody has left? He says to them, he says, he says are you leaving too? Then he reminds them that he chose them. But the point I want to make is that he lays down the conditions. He takes initiative. He calls. You don't follow Jesus at your own whim. You respond to a call. So to be a disciple is to be called by Jesus. Turn to John chapter 15, if you would, verse 16. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And look at verse 16. Now he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that fruit will last. That the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You'll, you'll have a, a prayer life that will be effective as you bear fruit that will last because I have called you, I've chosen you. He says, this is going to happen. You'll have an effective life as a Christian. Then he concludes that and he says, this is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Now out of verse 16, there's two things I want to emphasize. Two vital things I think are, are important for our discussion in terms of discipleship. The first one is this. The difference between choosing or being chosen. What's the difference between choosing and being chosen? Is there a difference? If I choose Jesus, who's taking the initiative? I am. I'm in control. But if I recognize that I have been called, I have been chosen, does it make a difference in my life? It ought to. What if you are... What if you choose to go to the World Cup? Can you choose to go to the World Cup as a player? I mean, can you just up and choose to go? No, no. Now you can choose to go as a spectator. Now you go as a spectator, you have a, you have a level of commitment and loyalty and, and responsibility, right? Especially if you're, you're a, a follower of, or maybe you're Brazilian or Italian, you know, and you're going to wave the Brazilian or the Italian flag tomorrow. But what if you are chosen to go as a player to be on the team? Out of all the millions of people who play soccer around this world, you're chosen to play on the finals of the World Cup. Would your sense of responsibility and loyalty and commitment be a bit higher than if you were going as a spectator? Would you want to perform? Would you count it a great honor to be chosen? Would you want to perform? 
Now, some of you can't relate. Some of you are not athletic. That you, this is, you know, you, this is going right over your head. I understand that. Now, but some of you can't relate. Some of you are not athletic. And we could think of all sorts of illustrations. But the point is, something significant that someone picks you out and calls you and says, "I'm calling you, Alex." And you respect that person. You value that person. That person is important. And you respect that person. Come, follow me. Big difference in terms of response. Would you agree? I think so. Absolutely. And so the question is, am, am, I, am I the one that's choosing or am I chosen? The Christian church today suffers because so many of its members feel that they have made a decision for Christ. That they have been in control. I decided for Christ. I determined what I'm going to do. I pick and choose. I chose to join thus and such a church. See, rather than recognize the sovereign God who's moving and calling and choosing and directing, and our part is to what? Respond. To learn to hear that call and respond to it. Most people today as Christians have very man-centered attitudes. And those man-centered attitudes weaken the church and bring imbalance. It's a constant challenge to all of us. How many of us say, yes, Lord, when he calls? When, when we know that there's something we should be doing that he's made abundantly clear to us? Alice, yes, Lord. Uh, I think it's only when we really begin to see ourselves as people who are chosen people who are called people who are commissioned I think it's only when we really begin to see ourselves that way that we will want to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice It will no longer be, well, I have to do this. I have to obey God. And there's a subtle underlying tendency to live our life that way rather than, all right, God, yes. What are we going to do today? I get to love my husband and honor him. I get to bless my wife. Newlyweds say that, right? The apostles had a, had a tremendous awareness of Christ's calling in their life. A tremendous awareness of who they were and who he was and, and what they were commissioned to. I just want to read some verses to you that will reflect that. And, and you just write these verses down. Look them up a little bit later. Read them on your own and reflect. Is this, is this my sentiment? Is this what I say? Is this how I reflect my faith? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 2, 17. Let me read this to you. 
Unlike so many, Paul says, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Now, the Greek word for peddle means not just to sell, but it means to dilute and to flavor in such a way that it becomes popular, palatable, goes down easily. It's kind of like we have junk food. People love junk food. And so peddling the gospel would be just like transforming it, diluting it, adulterating it in such a way that it becomes like junk food that we can easily peddle. But he says, unlike so many, we don't do that. We don't dilute it. We don't make it into something it's not. He says, on the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity. Now, get this. Like men sent from God. How do they speak? With sincerity, like men sent from God. Do they have a sense of their mission and calling? They have a sense of commission there? Oh, absolutely. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what he says here. Same idea, different words. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. How did, what, how did they arrive at that ministry? Through God's what? Through God's mercy, he says, I want to give you this ministry. Through God's ministry, or through God's mercy, I have this marriage. Therefore, I do not lose heart. Can we put that word in there? Marriage instead of ministry? Huh? Through God's mercy, I have this marriage. Therefore, I do not lose heart. Through God's mercy, I have this great gift. Therefore, I do not lose heart. Do you have a sense of God's calling there? God's commissioning? Powerful. Do we look on our life and the things of our life, our job situation, our relationships, as gifts to us by God's mercy? Or are we losing heart and giving up? The pressure gets heavy. What allowed the disciples to be bold in their witness? I would submit to you the very thing that allowed them to be bold in their witness, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but also their sense of calling. They had a commission that they took seriously. What was it that allowed those same disciples to stand firm in their suffering? Their sense of calling, commission. They were chosen. What was it that allowed them to lead lives worthy of the calling to which they had been called? Their awareness of that calling. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Listen to Paul once again. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He introduces himself in the salutation of that letter to the Roman church. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus... Called to be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. Set apart for the gospel of God. 
You drop down to verse 7. He says, to all of you who are at Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. He says, oh, do you have a sense of your calling to sainthood? Do we? Do we have a sense of that calling? Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Brothers, loved by God, we know that He has chosen you. We know that He has chosen... Oh, there's great things for you if you would embrace His calling. They didn't initiate. Christ called. Christ initiated. Christ chose. The second thing that we learn from verse 16, I think is vital for us in the context of discipleship is this. There are no solitary disciples. No Lone Ranger Christians, really. You can't go it on your own. You can't do it. Now that doesn't mean that we just always go looking for help. It means that we be open to help. It means that we be Available to helping and being helped. Not isolating ourselves. Jesus calls us to a common discipleship. We're all in it it together. We're all in it together. To share our lives and our love not only with Christ, but also with each other. It's a common discipleship. That's why in, in his statement, when he says, I chose you, you didn't choose me, what he, what he says that follows that? Love each other. Because what? He knows that we're going to need to love each other if we are to be his disciples. In fact, in John chapter 13, he says, all men will know that you're my disciples by what? By this love that you have. And indeed, that was a comment about the early church. People would look at the, at the early church and see. Wow, look how they love each other. And that love drew a lot, a lot of people, just like in our culture today. When they see Christians truly loving one another, laying their life down for one another, husbands, wives doing the same thing, speaks powerfully and loudly to neighbors, friends, relatives, when they see a life that they have not seen before. True discipleship is never easy. It's not easy. It is not easy. It is a constant challenge. Has anybody discovered that? True discipleship is a constant challenge. But we don't have to face it on our own. Why? Because not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but God has provided us with each other. He's provided us with his supportive love through the body of Christ, through fellow Christians, other disciples. And in the strength of those relationships, do you know what we can accomplish? Do you know what we can can accomplish in our own lives and as well as in each other's lives and in a society in general? 
Just harken back to that first century, to those disciples in that first century. They were together. If you go back into the book of Acts, you read Luke writing in those first couple chapters, he says they were of what? One mind. One heart. They were together. They were united. When anyone had need, boy, there were people who rush in there and say, I'll help. They, didn't, they never waited to ask. They said, I'm, I'm here. I, I see the need. I'm here to help. I understand the calling. I'm committed. You can depend on me. So we know that Jesus has called us. He has called us to be disciples. We didn't call ourselves. We didn't just volunteer. You're here tonight and, and, and you're not a Christian. You're not here tonight by accident. God is doing a work in your life. He's calling you. You say, well, I don't hear his voice. Ask the person next to you. Ask the person who invited you. Has God spoken to them about you? You better believe it. He's calling you. Listen to your friend. Listen to your, your neighbor. And those of us who, who profess to be Christians, I think it's vital for us to evaluate our perspective on discipleship in terms of did I choose or did he choose me? He chose me. He called me. That's going to make all the difference. And remember, we're not alone. We're together. We're together. We're here to encourage, to love, to support, to build up, to correct one another if necessary. So the what? The kingdom can grow. Christ can be glorified. It's a glorious thing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Vital for the life of the church. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have called me. I thank you that there is a great hope and a great work that still needs to be done. I pray, Father, that as we continue to talk about, to think about, to explore this whole arena of discipleship, that each one of us would grow more and more personally with you and certainly in our commitment to following you. Lord, we have much learning, and yet it seems like we still need to learn how to put that learning into practice. I pray your blessing upon us as we study these things, as we reason together, as we seek to make application for our lives and for the life of the church. We thank you that you are faithful, that you are patient with us. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and have called us. We bless you tonight, and we give you thanks. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. There may be one or two people who you're at a place in your life where you've begun to think a little bit differently and you're not a Christian or maybe you have been in control of your own life as a Christian. But the things we've said tonight have somehow 
made some sense to you in a way that caused you to rethink your position. The bottom line basically is do you really love Jesus and do you recognize that he has called you? And are you committed to him? You've never responded to his call? I'd like to pray with you. If you've responded to his call in the past and uh, but you've been in control. Now's a good time to relinquish that control back to him. Begin to say, yes, Lord. Be in submission to him. But in any case, I'd like to pray. Pray with you. And I don't know if there's anybody that would like to pray. While everybody's heads are bowed and they're praying for you. You can signal me and say, Pastor, I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray with you to become a Christian. I want to pray with you to affirm my faith. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. You can signal me, just raise your hand or look up somehow, get my attention, and then we'll, we'll pray in just a moment. Is there anybody at all? Anybody at all? God bless you. I see your hand back there. Okay. Anybody else? Respond to the call. Is anybody else in a place in their life where they need God's forgiveness? Now's the time. Now's the time. Get your life right with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. He's the only way. Well, let's pray. Make this your prayer. If you raise your hand, you looked up at me, and just... Make this your prayer. I'll pray it out loud. You kind of hitchhike along with me. God, forgive me. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I want a new life, and I want to be forgiven of all my sins. I want to be released of all the guilt and the condemnation. I want to be free. I understand that Jesus died for all my sins. He was buried and raised after three days to new life. That he conquered sin, he conquered the devil, and he conquered death, the last enemy. He offers me new life, and so I receive that new life tonight by faith. I believe in Jesus. I commit myself to him. I respond to his call to come, follow him. Lord, whatever it is that will get in the way, whatever it is that will hinder my walking after you, point those things out to me no matter the cost, that I may give them up, that I may follow you in an unhindered manner with all my heart. You have given everything for me. The only response I can give is to give up all for you. So I commit myself to that end, and I give you thanks. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to the family. God bless you.
Now, those of you that did pray with me, I want to encourage you. A couple of things real, real important for you right now. Uh, we have a prayer room right back here in the, the corner of the auditorium. You see the prayer room written on the wall there. Uh, I want to encourage you to go back and meet with one of our shepherds. We'd like to talk with you for just a couple of minutes. We'd like to find out, one, who you are, and two, we'd like to be able to uh, follow up with you and also answer any questions you might have. And just as importantly, we'd like to be able to tell you the kind of next steps that you can expect and things that are going to be important for you to know. People say, well, what do I do now? What do I do next? And that's part of what we want to share with you. So our shepherds will be in the prayer room waiting to meet with you and to answer any questions you have. If anybody else has need for prayer, anointing with oil, please uh, go to the prayer room and the shepherds will be there to meet with you and pray with you. Uh, second thing I want to suggest to you is those who did pray. We have a class coming up this next month. It starts the first Wednesday night of the month. It's called Discovering Maturity. And if you're serious about maturing as a Christian, then this class is vital for you. It's a four-week class. meets on Wednesday nights here in the auditorium at 7 o'clock. Um, you can't beat it. So I want to encourage you along those lines also. Let's stand and sing the Lord's praises one more time before we dismiss. You are the rock of my salvation. You are the strength of my life. You are my hope and my inspiration. Lord, unto Having been called by you. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you.